0: And I kind of got known for my next my next level of conversation with agents and anybody in the real estate industry would be is if they wanted to make a statement about something, it was either like, back it up. Back it up with, if you're going to say someone was unethical, back it up. Tell me the article and standard of practice and they could never do it.
1: You are listening to the Real Estate Sessions with Bill Rissa of Fidelity National Title, Tampa District. The Real Estate Sessions podcast is part of the Industry Syndicate Media Network. For additional real estate podcasts, check out industrysyndicate.com. Now, your host, Bill Risser. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Episode 173 of the Real Estate Sessions podcast. As I always say, thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for telling a friend. It's how we continue to grow. Uh, it's how I get to satisfy my my weirdness with curiosity. I love finding out about people, especially people I meet in the real estate world. And this is exactly how I met my guest for episode 173. Her name is Michelle Pochia. A lot of people know Michelle. She's all over the place online. She loves education. She's at a lot of the events. I'm going to say Michelle um, likes to share her opinion. I think that's pretty straightforward. Anybody that knows her is probably giggling right now. And I can't, I can't wait to find out more about her. Michelle, welcome to the podcast.
0: Hey, Bill. Glad to be here.
1: So I, we were talking at Results Summit and uh, you really had me laughing. You, you're, you're, I don't want to use... I'm going to use this word and I hope you take it as a compliment. But snark is part of a, a way I could define some of the things you like to talk about. Do you have a snarky kind of attitude? Is that fair to say?
0: That's fair to say. I, okay. Yeah, I, w- I would throw that word in.
1: All right, good. Uh, so let's, th- let's start at the beginning. That's what I love to do. You you live, you work for the uh, Keller Williams Capital District. You're an associate broker for them up in the Saratoga Springs area, which is north of Albany. So you're upstate New York. But that's not where you grew up. There's somewhere in your bio, I found North Carolina. Is that, how, how long were you there?
0: Actually, that's a pretty interesting story, Bill, because I actually was born in California. Wow. Okay. Um, my dad was in the Marine Corps, and and actually, to tell you the truth, so was my mother, and they both they met in the Marine Corps, and they were the first Marines to get married with permission from their commanding officers. So my parents are Marine Corps history.
1: Wow, this and this is this. I'm not, you know, I'm dating anything, but we're talking a while ago, right?
0: Oh yeah, is back in, in the, the 60s? I'm going to say the 40s, the 40s, 40s, because then what happened was, unfortunately, she was. They were stationed, at, they met at the same base that was in Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, actually. Mm-hmm. And when they met there, my mom was a rank higher than my dad, and they got married. And the minute my mom became pregnant with my sister, she had to leave the service. So that's how women were treated back then, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But thank goodness my dad stayed in the Marine Corps as he was a lifer. He served 30 years in the Marine Corps. So my mom's love of the military got to continue but as a, as a spouse.
1: Right. I'm sure she was heavily involved in whatever she could do, right? Where no, no matter where oh, they yeah. were stationed. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: So I went to school. Elementary schools were often on the actual military basis. So I was born in California and then we moved to South Carolina. And then we just like military families, usually back then it was about every three years you were moving. So then we moved out to Hawaii and then we moved to North Carolina. And my parents were my dad was stationed at Cherry Point. And when he was stationed there My older sister, who's a lot older than me. Oh, she'd love hearing that. Anyway, was in Hawaii. Her husband was in Vietnam. Mm. And so I went back there for a year and lived with her in Hawaii. And then I returned to North Carolina and my dad served us last year in 1969 in the Marine Corps. And then he decided since he moved us around so much that he would stay in one place and let us all finish high school. So I went to. Uh, I, it was there through eighth grade through high school. And then I went to college at East Carolina university, but the high school I went to that year, the interesting part was it was the first year of integration. So wow. I went to, I went to what was typically called the black high school it was called JT Barber for any of my fans that know that school. So I went, I went to school there, which meant nothing. My parents weren't horrified because my dad was from Pittsburgh and my mom was from Kansas. But some of my friends from the eighth grade, were no longer coming to school with me because all of a sudden a lot of private schools cropped up and they all went there. Wow. So it was very it was very interesting. So I went to high school where, you know, we were all integrated together. But what was so funny was, and this will give you a little something about my personality, but everything we had in high school was dictated by race. So we had a black president and a and a white president. We had a black coming coming queen and a white humming queen queen. We had a cheerleading squad that was like six black girls and six white girls. And I was on that. And there was one, only one thing in our high school that there was one of, and it was our school mascot. It was a bear, the New Bern bear. So this was in New Bern where I was in high school. And so I decided that I wanted to be that one thing. And so in high school, my last three years, I was, I was the school mascot. I was the New Bern bear.
1: Wow, that's awesome! I, Isn't you know, that a funny story? Yeah, well, you It's. It, I think it's so telling when you talk about. Well, we're going to be integrated. Well, not quite. We're gonna. It's a yeah. start. It was a start. Um yeah. And obviously, now we would look back at that and go, "Are you kidding me?" But I'm sure at the time it felt like progress, and that's what what you ha- what, how it had to happen. So yeah. Well, wow. it actually,
0: what's so funny is in my family the uh, the kids. We all grew up on military bases. It wasn't really that big a deal, or whatever. But it, what was so funny was to be in the South when that was, you know, mm-hmm. federally mandated right. upon them, or whatever, to, to 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 live in an area where it, rocks were thrown at our school buses. And I was like, going, what? It all worked out. I I had a great time. And and then we only the you know ninth grade I was there, and then for tenth, eleventh, and twelfth, you went to I'll call it quote unquote the white high school that was called Newbern Senior High School then. And it was great. It was a, it was a great experience. And of course, that was the 70s, the early 70s. So we had we had better music than many generations. So <laughs> we loved our music. So that that was fun. It was yeah. fun in North Carolina. North Carolina is someplace that I think you'll see on my profile when I have to claim a hometown. I mean, when I think of my home, I think of that house in in uh, New Bern. But shortly after, I mean, I moved around the state quite a bit, you know, from college. And then my parents moved back to Pittsburgh. So my touchstone is that sometimes I like to go back there. And when I am there, what's funny is where I live now, people think I have a thick Southern accent. And I would say, you've never really heard one then, have you? But (laughs) when I go back there, when I go back there, I pick up the twang and, and I love it, but I also pick up terms that I haven't used in a long time. And I would come home from trips there and, uh, my my own kids would say like, would you please quit saying that things are cute as a puppy?
1: Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm gonna guess y'all just comes out without any effort. Still,
0: it does, but you know what? It really comes out a lot after I've been down there. So yeah, right. I love I love the South. I love the South, but but now I'm kind of hooked on the Northeast.
1: Do you ever see yourself uh, one day when you retire, if you ever do, heading back down that way?
0: Well, actually, my husband has retired from General Electric, but. But I'm still working. No, I actually like it here so much. I like I like the seasons. I like snow. And when I when I'm tired of the snow in February, you know, I come down your way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I go someplace warm or whatever. And then what I like the best is I our summers and falls are so beautiful, but summer, I don't miss humidity. I don't miss bugs. Um, and I don't miss, you know, snakes and stuff like that. So especially humidity, because you know it's all about the hair. So Okay. Um, no, I don't. I, and we don't have that. We maybe have two weeks of like that kind of weather here and that's it.
1: Well, let's go back to Newburn. You, uh, you graduate high school and you head off to East Carolina. What's their mascot by the way? i I apologize. I don't
0: a know. Pirate. Oh, the I'm East Carolina pirate. pirates.
1: Yeah, yeah. I've seen them on basketball yes. tournaments and things. They've had yes, many couple runs. Pi-
0: you speak yeah. pirate and you wear purple and gold, Awesome. But I did not, I did not graduate. I did not graduate. And if somebody asked me, I, you know, my thought was that I, Take some business classes. My dad wanted all of his girls to get a degree in education so that we could become teachers because he used to say when the and this is very Marine Corps of me to say this, but he would say when the son of a bitch that you marry leaves you, you'll have something you can do to support yourself. (laughs) And I would say, oh, there's a reason. There's a reason for living.
1: (laughs) Wow. Okay. look, you know, very pragmatic, very, you know, very logical.
0: (laughs) He he meant it in the nicest way. But he also actually, to tell you the truth, he adored all of his sons in-laws. So I would have looked at like business stuff. But you know what? Well, there was something else that appealed to me. I actually I don't know if you'll enjoy this part or not, but I actually became involved with a biblical research and teaching ministry.
1: Wow! All right. And this was—is this part of huh? the school? Part of the school?
0: No, it was an outside activity. Okay. Gotcha. That I actually started like in high school. So, um, that that was fun, but that introduced me to a whole different world or whatever. Right. And I, I probably traveled around a lot because of that.
1: If If you had thinking back, what what was other than the education career your dad wanted? <laughs> what did twenty year old Michelle want to be when she was out on her own and doing her thing?
0: my My major appeal really had to do with animals, and I used to have a fantasy about being a librarian, if you can believe that one but when i was at when I was at school, I was fascinated. I was kind of known as the squirrel girl. I used to feed squirrels peanuts out of my hand and teach other students like how to do it. but I did like i liked i took some philosophy classes and some business classes, and then that was about it. But then I was off and running, and I think because of my past of moving around a bit. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. So I did move around quite a bit. So from North Carolina, I took off and I moved to Oregon. I lived in Portland, Oregon. And then I left Portland, Oregon, and I moved to Miami. And I lived in Miami, Florida. Um, I lived in Fort Lauderdale for a little bit. Now, and
1: what what kind of jobs do you have when you're you know, living in these places? Were you just kind of just finding something to tide you over? What were you doing?
0: I, I would actually... I found some pretty interesting jobs. When I lived in Portland, I worked for a company that made fireplace screens. And I was one of the designers of custom fireplace screens. Um, And a gentleman taught me how to do that. You would get like an order from a builder of what they wanted to do and what kind of metal finishes they wanted. And then you got to, you actually had to draw it. They had actually real drawing boards back then Mm -hmm. and do it. And then you'd come up with these plans. And so a gentleman taught me how to do that. But then I quit doing that because all my roommates worked in restaurants, and they had, they had more fun, they had better hours, they made more money, and they just seemed to be having a better time. So um, I learned how to wait tables in Portland, Oregon, and, and I can't believe I went from an office job to doing that, but it was great. Are you familiar with the Red Robin restaurants?
1: Absolutely. The bottomless okay. steak fries. Sorry.
0: I okay. too much. The Red Robin is a restaurant that started in Seattle mm. and at their, they had three restaurants in Seattle and decided they might try opening one someplace else. And they opened it down in Portland. And when I went to the big cattle call, when they were just, you know, just having a bunch of people um, lined up, the owners were actually there. And I, when I was in line, I went, I got out of line and introduced myself to them. And then I got back in line to be interviewed. And when I did that, I think it made them like pay attention to me. And then I got a job, even though I had no experience, you know, I kind of said that I knew that I could sell more food and more drinks than anybody else or whatever. And I had no idea what I was talking about, but anyway, I did do that or whatever. And it was a lot of fun. And back then Portland used to have another, a little festival where they'd have restaurants competing With other restaurants and one time the red robin restaurant we were competing against tgi fridays and some other local restaurants and you would do things like who could you ran like little races like how many platters could you hold on your arm or how many drinks could you put in your hand and so i was in that race and i met one of the guys from tgi fridays out of dallas and then what was funny was at that point i was pretty good friends with like the managers and stuff and then tgi Fridays. Um, I ended up getting a job with them and that's what took me to, uh, Miami. I actually went there and opened restaurants with them when they would open new restaurants. And at the time they had two other different kinds that they were doing. One was a spaghetti house and the other one was called dalt's was a hamburger place. And so I would go in and help them, the the new manager that was going to train the staff and help them do the interviewing and, and things like that every time we set up a new restaurant. So I got to go all over Florida doing that until, I'll tell you my next chapter of my life if you want me to. Sure. So, my, one of my friends from Portland, who I'd crossed country with before, called me up and she said, Michelle, if I flew you out here, would you come back? Would you come across country with me? We went out together. We, and I think we did two trips together. But she said, would you come back across with me? I'm going to move back. She was from North Carolina. And I said, sure. I said, but let me get a leave of absence from work because we're going to have fun. So, I did. I got a leave of absence from work. We took off, you know, we didn't have cell phones back then. So somewhere in the, during the trip I called home and my parents told me that my little sister who lived in Parkersburg, West Virginia, um, was having her second child. And my mom had fallen down and broken her leg. And she said, Oh my goodness, I won't be able to have her. So I said, Hey, listen, I'm coming across country. I'll get Deb to drop me off there and I'll take care. I was, you know, I I was volunteering. I'll take care of her. So. You know, we don't have cell phones or anything. That was the last phone conversation I had with them. And the next thing you know, I've got Deb dropping me off at my sister's porch in Parkersburg. Nobody was home. And she takes off and goes to North Carolina. My sister shows up and she goes, what are you doing here? I'm not going to have it for another month. <laughs> and I said, whoops. I said, well, I'm not going to leave you. And so I got a long leave of leave of absence. And so I decided to stay there and, until she had that baby. And wow. that while I was there, I met my husband.
1: So to t- look, talk about, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Serendipity, right? Yes. Yeah. Doing the right thing, being in the right place at the right time and good things happen. That almost sounds like that would work in real estate.
0: Well, I think that it does, Bill. You know, yeah. I'm, I do tell people sometimes, well, often when I'm talking with agents about you know, what they need to do or whatever, I always go, do you ever hear like a voice in your head that's telling you, this is a great idea, do this, or, or, Hey, I'm thinking about that person. I should call them or whatever. I always go, you should act on it because it's, it's those things that yield results. If you never act on it, you know, nothing ventured, nothing gained. You can't hurt anything by trying right? or whatever. But when, but when you get that still small voice or whatever, take it as a little tip off that the, the brain cells, that are the best ones have risen to the top and told, and given you a command or whatever, or, you know, are trying to lead the way for you and do it, just do it, you know?
1: So was there some moment like that for you that uh, led you to the world of real estate?
0: Yes. I married my husband. We had our first child. He was uh, interviewing for jobs because he was in West Virginia and he's from Ohio. And, Three of the jobs he interviewed for, one was a company in New Jersey. One was a – he's an engineer, by the way. Mm-hmm. And one was a company that makes ladders that was in California, which that appealed to me. Anyway, and the New Jersey thing, I can't even remember what that company was. And the other one that appealed to him was working on jet engines at General Electric in Cincinnati, Ohio. And he grew up just north of there where Miami University is, Oxford, Ohio. hmm And because we already had one child and I knew I was going to have more, I said, you know, I never got to grow up around relatives and especially grandparents. And I said, this would be just so cool to live in your hometown and you could commute to work. He went, Michelle, I have no desire to go back and live in my hometown. And I said, well, it's only going to be a 45 minute drive or whatever, but I saw the benefit of it. His dad was a music college, you know, college professor and I liked the little town. I actually got married there too, but I said, let's go. So we did. We moved to Oxford, Ohio. And when I was in Oxford, the first house we bought, um, was, uh, kind of a bachelor pad chalet, a frame, cool place, a lot of wood and stone that a builder had built for himself and he was selling it. So we bought that and we lived in it. And after we outgrew it, we were, um, by the time we had our third kid. When I was going to put it on the market, I had a woman who went to high school with my husband come out and give me a little estimate of value. And she told me what she thought it would sell for. And then I don't think I, I I actually talked to another agent, but I didn't have them come over. And then I thought, you know what, I'm going to sell it myself. And somehow that just came to me or whatever. And I did, I put it in and I sold it for more than what for more than what they said.
1: So you, you went you went for sale by owner on them, huh?
0: On uh, my house. Yes, I did. Uh-huh. And then I was going to build a house. And here's the best part. So because it was so, you know, part of it, Bill, is to be honest with you, the, the price was more than what they estimated that they would put it on the market for. But the other thing, too, is it was just a really cool house with the wood and all the stone. I can't even describe it to you, but kind of chalet looking, but up on a hill on a couple acres. And so the, it was very appealing to people, the couple that bought it. They bought the house, and then he was talking about it all around town. The next day, my friends were all saying, "Michelle, was that really easy?" And so, some friends of mine said, "Michelle, help us sell our house." And they had a cute little house um, in town. And I said, "Okay." I took ads out mm. in the newspaper. Mm. Wait, 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 <laughs> and said I was having an open house, and I and at their house or whatever. And I'm not licensed or anything. And at my open house at their house, a broker that owned a cobalt banker franchise there. His name was Tim Myers. He's since deceased and he was a very good guy to me. He walked in the door of my open house. He waited for the people that were there to leave. And then he pointed his finger at me and he said, Michelle, what you're doing is illegal. And I want to talk to you about that. And I said, what am I doing? That's illegal. He said, you can sell your own house and that's all well and good, but selling other people's property in the state of Ohio, young lady, you must have a license to sell real estate. And I said, I had no idea, which I didn't. I said, I had no idea. He said, yes, you're taking out ads and doing this. He said, "So, but I have a solution. I said, what is it? He said, Michelle, I'm sending you to real estate school and I'm paying for it and you are going to become a real estate agent and you're going to work in my office. And I was like, okay, Tim.
1: That's awesome. <laughs> Look, you think about it from Tim's point of view, he saw someone who was a hustler, a go-getter, who knew how to work. I mean, that's that's like... That's that just fell right in his lap. That's awesome.
0: Well, the best part about hooking up with Tim was he was he was an adorable character, very well known in town, grew up there, or whatever. Very well, had his finger in every little pot. A great, you know, real estate investor on his own. You know, had loads of student rentals. Um, and the nice part was, uh, and Tim had lots of staff that did lots of things for him. And so at that point in his career, he really did take me under his wing. He brought me into the office. At first, I went to real estate school, and then I passed the test. Um, And then he brought me into the office. He asked me where I wanted to sit, and I chose an office space to share with another woman that was right across from the woman who had come out to my house and given me that CMA that went to school with my husband. Yeah. Her her name was Donna. And so I wanted to be across the hall from Donna. He said, why do you want to be right across the hall from Donna? I said, because I want to listen to whatever she says. I'm going to spy on her. I remember. And he went, Hey, good idea. That's what he said to me. Good idea. <laughs> so, but the best part about Tim that I will tell you that I think that, you know, broker owner managers back then, it was a little bit different or whatever, but this still works. He actually mentored me for an entire year. Even even after six months, he probably could have let me go or whatever, but you know, there's so much to learn. There's so much to learn. So many other experiences happened to me through that whole year or whatever. He was always really, He was always really a great advisor to me, but he was my mentor my very first year for the entire year, and I actually did 50% split of my commissions with him, but I felt like I was in school because he knew lots, and he taught me a lot, and after that, after spending a year being across the hall from Donna, I was adopting the way that she talked and the things that she said and how she said things, and I told her. I actually told her one time. I said, you know, I kind of started talking like you. Or whatever, And she said she was flattered. And then I just asked her, I said, look, I just would love to. I said, if there's anything, anything that I can ever do to help you or whatever, I said, I would love to do it. I said, I just feel like I'm getting like a lot of information from you. She became she was my next mentor and the best mentor I've ever had. And that's why I would tell agents. That's why early on I made money and did well, because I put myself in that position. But I also paid for it. I did, it wasn't that I didn't worry so much about my split. Because it really was grad school.
1: Right. And and fortunately, it was coming out of your salary as you were earning it. So absolutely. that you just have to look at it the right way. Yeah,
0: it, Absolutely. And she's the first person, to tell you the truth, she used to go outside of our area to conferences. And one time she told me, she said, Michelle, I think you're ready to go to – I went to Cole Banker Conferences, um, and they were really great. But to go to a, a conference that was non-franchised, the first thing she took me to was a Mike Ferry event in Palm Springs. That's the first one I ever went to. Wow. And it just, so my eyes got opened right away. So probably that's probably year two and I went you, to a Mike Ferry event.
1: So And this has stuck with you your entire career because here we are. Yes. Almost 30 years later, right?
0: 29 years this January. Wow.
1: And uh, I've seen you at two or three events this year alone. I think you were in, weren't you in San Francisco at Inman? Yes. Yeah. I saw you in Vegas at results summit. Yes. Yes. And there are others. I'm, so I'm shocked. You weren't at triple play, but you probably had work to do, right?
0: You know what? I came back from taking care of my in-laws. who were 97 and 94. And usually I do go to triple play because I, I like it because of the size of the crowd and the, uh, the, the diversity of those three States. Right. So it's kind of fun. But yeah, but Inman is, Inman's been one of my favorites, but I have to admit, I think, I think the results summit is, uh, you know, I'm glad I went to the very first one and I missed the second one and then came back for the third one. And I like it because of the size and the more, it's more, it has a lot more, I would say, workshop feel a little bit. Mm-hmm. Bill, one of my favorite conferences that I've ever been to is Workshop, Hawaii Life. Are you familiar with those guys? Yeah,
1: well, I, I Matt Beal's been a guest on my podcast.
0: I love Matt Beal. Matt Beal, all of his people, Katie, all those guys out there. Um the first one that I went to was just so outstanding. It's always this time of year, it's December or whatever. That's because they can get those resorts at a really good price. You stay at an incredible resort at a really good price, but you are with a lot of thought leaders in the industry. In the industry, but the the best part was is the ones from outside the industry. So they always bring in super interesting people and authors. Um, it was actually one of the most enlightening conferences I've I've ever attended, and I I highly recommend it to people. They should they should at least at some point in their careers attend a workshop.
1: Yeah, I think Matt's a very um, interesting, deep, profound guy. So I could absolutely see that being well worth the uh, the investment and the time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then my other favorite one that I go to um, is Genuine Hustle. Talk about it, how important that is. If you if you just stay within your own area, or whatever your, your level of education can get a little stagnant or whatever. And it's fun to go out and, you know, even going just to your own franchise's events can get a little stagnant or whatever. And not that all of them, I think every franchise has fabulous conferences. So, and I've been a member of, uh, you know, cobalt Banker, Remax, now Keller Williams. They all have really great events or whatever. But when you go to one of those, like if you go to a Keller Williams one, you're in a sea of 15,000 people. Um, but very high level, you know, great stuff for the franchises But when you go to the smaller events, you get to do a lot more connecting in a deeper way with the attendees because the group is smaller and the the activities have a little bit different Twist. There's a little bit more give and take with the audience, I think, because of the size.
1: I would. Would you agree with this statement that um, one of the most, I guess we'll call it overused words currently is authenticity? Yes. Now, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's a good thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I am going to tell you that you are one of the most authentic people that I have run into and encountered. Uh, in the, in the, the world of real estate, I adore you for this. And let me, let me give you some examples. I, okay. as, I as I do my research for the podcast, I, I go to, uh, you know, I go to lo- looks lots, lots of different places to find information. I go to your Facebook uh, profile and where it says you, how your name's pronounced. You don't, you know, spell out Pochia. Instead, yours says capital A W S E M capital A W S E M, which my advanced uh, gr- grammar says is awesome. Awesome. On LinkedIn. Your real estate in your actual description. Not not in the bio, but your actual description. Your real estate smarty pants is your title. And your first line of your summary says, I want to know about you, you want to know about me. Wild guess here, let's get I mean, you're just really that's who you are. And I, I t- talk to me about um that part of your life. You know, you're you're not trying to sugarcoat anything. You're you're probably very honest with your customers, but I'm, an, I'm going to assume that you tend to end up working with more people that have a similar sort of sense of humor like you. Is that true?
0: That That is true. But I think a lot of us do attract the same kind of people that, you know, you're either like swimming in that group of people socially or whatever, or you live among those people or whatever. So, But, yeah, I would say that before when you said using the word snark or whatever, I can be snarky and I can be sarcastic, but I'm not negative, Right. You know, There's usually, a big difference usually, there, right? Yeah. It's usually to illustrate a point in a, in, a, in, a, in a way that maybe you'll remember it or whatever. Or to be honest with you, I will say this. I do have a lot of I thoughts in my head. And most of the time what happens is they fall out of my mouth.
1: Okay. <laughs> the, the, the filter doesn't catch them. Is that what you're trying to say?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I do find when I'm talking with people, if I'm meeting with clients, or if i'm meeting with agents and they're you know counseling with me a little bit you know i do find when i'm looking at them or i'm in their space or or i listen to them what they're saying or whatever sometimes when i i just give myself the ability to mirror back to them what they're saying or whatever cuz sometimes they don't realize what they're saying uh, you know that that they they actually have the answer themselves is what i'm trying to say bill right and so by listening to it and just mirroring it back to them or whatever sometimes you help them realize that they really did already admit what it, where it is they're trying to accomplish or or they came up with their own solution or whatever i just listened to it and gave it right back to them so yeah it's kind it's uh it's interesting but yeah as far as being a smarty pants i mean i kind of i will say i will tell you this i had a terrible experience with a broker owner one time in my career um, and I'm glad it only happened. okay, it's happened twice. i should I should admit that. It's happened twice. But the first time it happened, that is what spurred me. I know a lot of us become transactional and just we're we're all trying to make a living, and you just go from one deal to the next and following up on leads and trying to make them happen or whatever. And sometimes you don't pay attention to things like you don't get involved in your association, you don't get involved in even in your franchise doing things. So they have different committees and groups to do things. You don't get involved because you're too busy making money for your family. And, and, and that's really good. Something bad happened between me and a broker and I needed information. It was of a legal nature or whatever. And so I turned to my association, which said, that's of a legal nature. You're going to have to go a different route or whatever. It was very frustrating to me. So all of a sudden I was spending nights reading New York state real estate law and I pretty much was also memorizing the Code of Ethics, which I can't even tell you how many classes of Code of Ethics I'd taken, but I'd never, in one fell swoop, just really read it and tried to absorb everything about it. Um, and so I became very well-versed in those things. And I kind of got known for my next, my next level of conversation with agents and anybody in the real estate industry would be, is if they wanted to make a statement about something, it was either like back it up, back it up with, if you're going to say someone was unethical, back it up, tell me the article and standard of practice and they could never do it. Or so I'd say, you really need to learn these. Or so it was a bad situation that forced me into educating myself. And then as a result, I kind of became somebody that a lot of agents would call to say, wait, where does it say that somewhere? Does it say it anywhere in real estate law that this is, the, this is the way it can't go. Why do we say that? And so I became that person. And so people would say, you're such a smarty pants.
1: <laughs> and you're you're very active as a volunteer. Uh, obviously, this goes hand in hand with that knowledge that you keep accumulating, right? Correct. Yeah.
0: And actually, Bill, part of that does have to do with my age and the longevity of being in the business. Because sometimes, you know, when you've got young kids, and I, I will tell you this, when we experienced that really incredible market where prices were just obscene but it, what was more obscene was that people could get loans on them when that was going on. I just want everybody to know that it was actually my life situation that created that entire market because I had three children going to college simultaneously. And so I had to be provided for. And so that market appeared and it, cause I I was determined after meeting with first time home buyers who had such college debt that was going to affect the way that they could, then they had these great paying jobs but that debt was going to keep them from buying the kind of house that they deserve to live in. Um, I, I decided that when my kids hit college, that none of them were going to walk out the door with uh, college debt hanging over their heads.
1: Wow, that's great. So uh, well, yeah. the timing and all uh, well, hard work. Let's, let's, let's focus on the hard work on your part. So,
0: so what's so funny about that is my son, who got married last year, who lives in Richmond, Virginia, he and his wife, who've only been married a year, but the house that they share— they just, they called me about a week ago. They just made their last payment. Wow. They're, that's great. They're 30, they're 30 and 35.
1: Wow. Congratulations, so, mom. Good job. Awesome.
0: Uh, that, is, uh, that is pretty funny. Now, of course, I can't get them to leave that house. I'd like them. I'm like going, okay, give it up. Let's buy a better house. And they're like going, no, we own it now. And I'm like, uh, so that, that's our next chapter is going through that. So they're going to have to have some kids for them to feel that crunch. <laughs> Yeah. But other than that, it was, it is really funny to me how real estate and dealing with people's lives has influenced the way I am with my husband on things of of a real estate nature, but also with my children. And, and it it is, it's, 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 it's been a good thing. It's been a really good thing. And I do, I will say this, I am kind of known for this. I do treat my clients and it's not because I'm so maternal. Or whatever it's just I treat them if they're in that age group i I treat them just like they're my kid, or if they're my age, that's my sister or my brother and my sister you know i'm I'm not going to let them do anything that I wouldn't let my brother or sister do
1: I was just about to ask you that question, like how do you know many of my guests focus on creating this exceptional customer experience you've kind of just laid out the platform that you use, right it's making them part of your family so you can you know, really, you know, as a, a Valerie Garcia would say, love on him, right?
0: Absolutely. Now, one of the things I will say that really helped me a lot when I first started out, and in fact, you know, I was in real estate for three years in Ohio, and then I moved to New York. And I thought, so that now we're in 1990, well, it was the end of 92, actually, but 92, 93. Uh, my husband got transferred, so I get the dates mixed up. I stayed in Ohio for a while while we built a house here. So anyway, because I, I, I wanted to stay in Ohio. So I said, I'll move there for two years, but I'm coming back to Ohio. Well, I never I never went back. Anyway, but when I came here, you know, we still didn't have, like, any kind of appointment showings or anything. And we had barely, you know, listings on a the computer. They were still MLS books. Um, so when you made an appointment, when agents in my new office, when they made appointments, you had to actually go to the office, the other office, pick up a key take the key, go show the house, and then take the key back to that office. I mean, it was labor-intensive showing property. So what I used to do so that I would get my face known to the other agents in the town, I used to go visit the other offices. I would say uh, Agent Carol would have a, uh, a bunch of houses she was going to show, and, and i go collect all the keys for her and then I'd bring them back. But then I met the people in the other offices, so that's how I met people. But how I met the public was I met a builder who built a house, and I said, I wanted to list it. He said, everybody wants to list it. And I said, yeah, but I want to practically live there. I'm going to have an open house there every weekend. And I said, and I'm going to have coffee and little mini muffins and juice. And I'm going to, and people will get to know who you are because I'm going to hang out there. And I would hang out there for like three hours, Bill. Um, but people came every week. People used to come every week. And then how I met people was then I was like, offering them like information because this i threw myself into education when i got here so the stuff i learned about the area new york started a program called star where you could get your school taxes reduced i got the forms and i would pass those out and tell people you can get this or whatever so that's what i started doing and even though these people weren't in the market to sell their home or to buy a home at the time they walked away with information from me and like two years later i'd be the person that they would call it yeah. was hysterical. But that's... that on that one, that one house that open house, I built my business. And I'm proud to say that now I think in that house, the since I had it listed, the, a third family is in it or whatever, and that family that lives there, they know how fond I am of that house. They called me to sell a property to their mother who wanted to move up here and live closer to them.
1: Wow, that's great. I uh... Oh, look, I've had you way longer than the half hour I asked of your time. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you the, the final question that I have asked every guest on the podcast. And that is, if you could give one piece of advice to a new agent just getting started in the business, what would it be?
0: Find yourself an excellent mentor and make it worth their while to spend time with you by contributing to their business. And it will reward you greatly.
1: That's awesome. Uh, Michelle, if somebody wants to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you?
0: My cell phone number is all over the internet. People say all the time, why do you give it out? I said, because I want to get phone calls. Um, (laughs) So my phone number's been the same for a really long time. 518-229-7703. Call me, text me. I text a lot.
1: I love that. Michelle, it really has been wonderful chatting with you for, for, uh, f- here for, the, for episode 173. Thank you so much for finding some time in a, what's got to be a really busy uh, month with holidays and all that stuff. I know everyone's kind of strapped for time, but thank you so much. Uh, and well, Bill, I can't, can't wait to see you in New York. Are you going to be at Inman?
0: I will be. And all Bill, right. thank you so much for having me. I'm a huge fan of your show. And thank you for all you do for us.
1: Oh, thank you very much, Michelle. We'll talk soon.
0: All right, bye-bye.